Hello there. This is Jolie Bindo from the Hollow Chronicles of a Jedi podcast. You're listening to the Old Republic podcast. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating review, and Brian and Cassia will feature it on the pod. Now, enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you, always. We are the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler alert for everything Star Wars under the Twin Suns. The question is what choice? Rebellions are built on hope. Make ten men feel like a hundred. I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me. Hello everyone. Uh, I hope everyone out there is doing well at this time. Uh, How are you doing, Brian? I am doing great. Uh, winter weather is uh, still still alive and well, but uh, that's okay. We have an exciting journey ahead of us today, I think. So, uh, yeah, just ready to uh, keep going on our KOTOR travel series. But, uh, yeah, pretty good time. Yeah. For those keeping track and for those who celebrate, we're recording on Groundhog Day, and the Groundhog predicted six more weeks of winter, so we'll have to see if that's accurate. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, thanks a lot for that, Groundhog, but that's okay. We can't blame the Groundhog uh, for the weather. He just tells it like it is. Yeah. So, unrelated to Groundhogs, um, what have we been calling this series, like, uh, postcards from the Outer Rim, or what is it again? Yeah, it is uh, on location, uh, or yeah. KOTOR 2 on location, and we've been to all of the locations so far, um, except for one, and it's probably the most important one. Yeah, and today we are actually recording live from Malachor, um, and uh, Marius from Discord wanted to know the kind of oxygen masks we are wearing to survive on the surface while doing said podcast. So what kind of mm. mask are you wearing? <laughs> I am, uh, I'm wearing no mask cause I am a, a rebel. Um, no, uh, that is, that is a good, good question. Cause I guess if, if you think of Malachor as this, uh, place where this giant super weapon has erupted, you know, real world analogies to that or you know like atomic bombs and things which would leave behind a lot of radiation so uh you probably would want to have some sort of uh mask but i think if you're telling a story at the you know at the climax of of your tale you probably don't want your uh heroes and heroines running around in masks so i think the air on malachor 5 is perfectly fine (laughs) yeah uh i mean it's kind of funny in star wars like if you really think about it it's not really a hard sci-fi series because most of the atmospheres are breathable for most species Mm -hmm. and uh, most of the gravity is always the same. And technically like, it seems like time is always the same on each planet. Like they're on Coruscant central standard time or whatever all the time always like no there's like no time zones in star wars if you really think about it and yeah that's right every all of the tv shows start at 7 p.m in coruscant and everyone else has to adjust uh, accordingly for that but um easy to do a podcast you know in the star wars (laughs) galaxy because time zones you don't have to worry about them that's right yeah absolutely um we wouldn't have to have to fight with our own time zones but yeah i think um and and 
going back to the question there, I think in terms of like breathable atmosphere, if you were telling the story of KOTOR 2 and some sort of film or TV or uh, cartoon telling or something like that, you could you could kind of skirt around that a little bit by having, uh, you know, your the characters be wearing some sort of breathing apparatus on the surface, which might make more sense. And then once you're able to get kind of uh, underground, uh, maybe you get below like the contamination zone, so to speak, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in an adaptation, it would be interesting to see kind of the after effects of the mass shadow generator. Um, and one interesting thing, I I was uh, on Wikipedia kind of refreshing myself on Malachor. Uh, did you know that Malachor is also known as Malachor 5? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, it seems like in everything that I read, it's kind of... Um, interchangeable. It seems like either Malachor or Malachor Five both are in reference to the same place. But yeah, and uh, prior to the final battle of the Mandalorian Wars, uh, which plays a, a big part in Mitra Sirk's story, uh, the planet was fertile and hospitable. Uh, but after the cataclysm caused by the mass shadow generator, it became like gross and cracked and twisted and it's a wasteland you know like with mm -hmm. a lot of lightning storms and like if you look at the picture of it on wikipedia like it doesn't look like a place you'd want to spend your spring break it's like uh let's maybe drive past the haunted planet you know i don't want to <laughs> stay there right yeah that is the that is the one place you don't want to go uh yeah because it looks very uh, fraught with danger um, very perilous, like you said, there's a bunch of uh, lightning storms, and uh, the, apparently the gravity there is unstable, which has made it very dangerous for other ships and things to get there. Um, and yeah, obviously that is due in large part to uh, Mitra Surik, uh, you know, activating uh, this mass shadow generator, uh, which, you know, basically destroyed uh, the planets and, uh, you know, changed the, the course and the trajectory of the entire galaxy. Yeah, and it changed the the galaxy uh, for the exile Mitrasuric and uh, her army and the opposing army, the Mandalorians that she was fighting against, and it echoes, you know, still it, in her story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It echoes still in her story. Um, it echoed all throughout, uh, you know, the stories of legends and um, even in current Star Wars uh, canon, it is uh, still echoing because uh, Malachor is a pretty important place in current canon. Because if you go and watch the season two finale of Rebels, uh, Twilight of the Apprentice, that takes place on Malachor. Yeah, and speaking of which, we got a question from uh, Jake. Uh who's been on our podcast a couple times, uh, most recently for, uh, I was going to say Game of Thrones, but I guess it was kind of our House of the Dragon episode. Um, mm -hmm. And he asked, uh, like, for us to cover, like, what we like about the planet and your thoughts on how it's depicted in canon versus legend. So it's kind of cool that we can uh, compare and contrast, uh, like, legends and canon even though they they intersect a lot mm -hmm. yeah they uh they definitely do um intersect i was uh, doing a little bit of reading about malachor and um you know malachor 
obviously after the mass shadow generator, you know, we mentioned the storms, we mentioned the the unstable uh, gravity uh, well kind of surrounding the planet. So uh, by and large, uh, people weren't going there. Malachor actually was like a like a dirty word uh, in uh, Legends for characters to say. Uh, if you said Malachor, it, uh, it meant something not great uh, because, yeah, what happened there uh, was not great. And um, it's as a for its depiction in like current Star Wars canon, I mean, we we really only see it um, in that episode of Rebels. It's gotten uh, quite a few other mentions. It was mentioned in uh, the Clone Wars uh, series. It was been mentioned in a bunch of different books and uh, comics. But really, when we're seeing it in Rebels, it's more of just this uh, kind of desolate uh, place with this temple um, and kind of cavern system that they're uh, going into. And uh, one of the key things about canon was. Um, I, I, you know, I believe it's, uh, Kanan and, uh, Ezra, uh, talking and, you know, apparently Master Yoda had said to never go to Malachor, Jedi aren't allowed to go there. Um, so we didn't know why they were being, you know, sent there kind of on this, on this mission. But one of the things that Ezra learns while he is there is that it was the site of a super weapon that had almost destroyed all life in the galaxy, which, uh, sounds, sounds pretty much like, uh, 1300%, uh, uh, canon for KOTOR 2 to me is what that sounds yeah. like. But, but what do you think? What are kind of the big, um, differences that you've noticed or, um, any similarities or, uh, what do you think about Jake's question there? Um, in canon, it looks a little different from how it appeared in the game, but I'm fine with that. Cause I think it's more of a interesting location in rebels. Um, but I think like, um, it doesn't really man mention the Mandalorians as much, and I think it's more interesting to have, like, Sith and Jedi fighting each other, you mm -hmm. know? Um, uh, and, like, it's just kind of like a, a graveyard, like, um, I mean, Ezra, like, activates kind of like a, a blade that kind of looked like Kylo Ren's, because Kylo Ren kind of based his uh, lightsaber on an old design with, like, are those little things called pauldrons, the little blades to the side? Uh, they could be. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not up yes. on my. Uh, yeah. Let's let's just say yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I am. I am not a swordsmith, but I will take your word for it. I think. Um, but yeah, I do. I do like kind of the the representation we got in Rebels, where it's more of like I said, kind of this cavern thing, and then this temple, um, as opposed to uh, what we see in the game. You know, you go through the caverns, and then you get to. Um, you know, kind of the, the temple area, but it's, it's really just a, a giant labyrinth of rooms until you get to kind of that, that final temple because, you know, video games. But, um, but yeah, I, I really like the way that it looked and, and felt, it felt like a very, uh, desperate and desolate place on, in Rebels. And then of course that, that episode is particularly, uh, weighty, you know, with, uh, the return of Darth Maul and, uh, Darth Vader coming in to confront Ahsoka and all that stuff that happens in that episode. Yeah, and for a long time, uh, fans didn't know the the result of that duel. You know, so it it was interesting to see Malachor and then like what happened to Ahsoka. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I just think it's interesting, like uh, that in universe in the Star Wars universe, like Malachor is like a euphemism, like kind of for like hell. And mm -hmm. it just still kind of echoes still, like, even outside of, like, uh, 
you know, Revan or the exile story. Right. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely this kind of, um, place that is, you know, lost to history and, uh, you know, only kind of spoken about in, in tales and, and rumors. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're watching like a, like a scary movie or something, and then there's that house that no one really knows the full story on, but it's kind of spooky and you, you walk past it quick. Uh, that's the same kind of deal with, uh, Malachor. You don't want to, yeah. like you said, you don't want to slow the ship down. You just keep going. Yeah. So uh, I think we've kind of uh, established like what uh, Malachor is, how it makes us feel. Um, why is it important to Mitra Surik's uh, Purgus story? Uh, yeah, it's definitely important to her Purgus story because uh, that's kind of what really... I don't know, prompts her on this journey that we've, that we've been on. Um, right. So she's been cast out from, uh, from the Jedi order. Um, and you know, we've, we've kind of picked her up on, on this story of atonement and redemption. And that stems from her acts of, you know, betraying the, the orders of the Jedi council, going to war with Revan and then ultimately, uh, setting off this, uh, super weapon that she got, um, Beodor to, design and uh build for her which um like i said it, it caused you know mass casualties and we've spoken you know about it as we've gone through the different locations you know the ramifications not just to uh you know the planet of malachor and the forces that were there and uh the passing by ships and you know the the immediate kind of ramifications for uh creating darth nihilus in this explosion but you know just the amount of uh, refugees, the displaced people that were, you know, forced to um, move about the galaxy, you know, and kind of these uh, rippling effects of the mass shadow generator. So, yeah, uh, and the mass shadow generator um, was—it was built by Beodert, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He. Yeah. Under. Uh, yeah. Under the command of Mitra Surik, you know, as the general. Uh, you know, instructed him to build it or to build some sort of super weapon. So, um, yeah, for sure. So he was kind of the, kind of the architect if, uh, of it all. If, you know, she was the, if she was the brains giving the order of it. Yeah. It was, uh, by his design then, I guess. I guess we have the movie, uh, Oppenheimer coming out this year. So like Bayou is kind of like Oppenheimer, I guess. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Just need uh, Christopher Nolan to uh, tackle tackle Beodur next. That would be a that would be a good one to tell. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Um. And then in Kotor two, um, we've we've seen the horrible ramifications of the mass shadow generator. Um. Why do our protagonists decide to kind of partially restore the mass shadow generator? What's that about? Yeah, what is that about? Um, yeah, so you get on you get on planet there, and uh, Beodor, um basically sends his uh, remote out to go and uh, kind of reactivate this thing. And um, partially, um, I think that there's a little bit of a difference between the the original version and the restored content version. But uh, basically, if you're able to get this thing uh, restarted, it's going to kind of kind of destroy itself so um kind of like a self-destruct sort of thing to uh hopefully erase all of the the damage that it caused or you know at the very least make it so it's unable to continue to cause damage because um even in being 
you know, activated the one time and still just remaining. It's still just putting a lot of uh, negative uh, force energy out into the world, and and that's not a good look. So you got to got to get rid of this thing uh, once and for all. And I guess the best way to do that is to turn it back on, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the future we'll just have to be like a, a restored content version of Kotor Two textbook, you know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. There you that go. I like fun. that. Yeah, yeah. Because I think. Um, yeah, I think the main difference, uh, just kind of going off of uh, memory here, I would need to look into it for the specifics, but I think the original version, yeah, it was to basically kind of um, implode the the planet, which is why the planet is kind of collapsing, um, you know, at the end of the game. But in the restored content version, I think it's to, um, yeah, like I said, to basically kind of destroy itself and to uh, kind of, I don't know, partially restore the planet. So uh, a little bit of a difference there. But but yeah, either way, it's uh, getting turned back on uh, for better or for worse. Um, and Bowder has some really great dialogue here as he's kind of talking to this little remote who's uh, basically going to sacrifice himself, this little remote droid, to uh, get this thing uh, turned on. And he's talking kind of about his, his own, you know, personal journey and personal atonement and, you know, getting getting this thing finally taken offline, you know, the guilt that he has from being the one that, that, uh, you know, built it in the first place and, and how ultimately, you know, if Mitra Surik gives the order for him to switch it back on again, that's what he's going to do. So. Yeah. Uh, while that's kind of happening, uh, Mitra Surik, uh, before she can really, you know, confront the, the, the Treya who is Kreya, you know, she has to go through the Treus Academy and uh, have a final showdown with another part of the Sith Triumvirate, Darth Sion. Um, I don't know. It, it's just kind of weird that, like, it's like Malachor just has, like, a random Sith, you know, Academy, and it's named mm-hmm. Treus. Like, what came first, the Kreia or the Treus Academy, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, it's interesting that it's there, and I think that um, it partially was there. It was uh, constructed, like I said, when the mass shadow generator went off. It's just creating a bunch of negative force energy, and I think that that uh, was very appealing to the uh, dark side of the force, and that's really where this um, this academy and uh, things came from is kind of this proving uh, ground for for the Sith, and I guess from that sense, then. Um, from what I know about it is that it basically the most, um, the most like diehard or like orthodox, I guess, uh, versions of the Sith would go here, would pilgrimage here, would, uh, learn here, um, because it's, it's literally like, you know, a, a black hole in the middle of this galaxy that's, uh, been created by, uh, Mitra Surik, um, you know, before, you know, the events of this game. Yeah. In, in the, um, light side um version i guess the academy in malachor 5 uh they're destroyed and i guess in the dark side version like malachor 5 and the academy uh remain intact so it i don't know it's interesting so um it kind of looks like a claw we'll probably have a picture of this uh on our youtube uh, video, but like the the Trace Core part of the Trace Academy, like it, it just looks like all these talons all around, all these claws. 
yeah, it's these big kind of kind of chambers that you're going through. And uh, yeah, as you're moving through and you get through um, into the academy, yeah, we're having another confrontation with uh, Darth Sion. So this is, I, I believe, our, th- our third um, encounter with Darth Sion. So I guess he's just been kind of following us around through this thing because, um, you know, Darth Sion really has kind of this fascination uh, with Mitra Surik. And I think that it, a lot of it stems from the fact that, you know, she has such kind of a, or you know, Kreia has such a keen eye on Mitra Surik, and I don't know if it's it's something to do with jealousy or uh, love or some sort of combination of those uh, sort of things that Darsion is really kind of holding on to, um, you know, in kind of this pursuit of uh, Mitra Surik and keep having these encounters. But, you know, ultimately we're able to, I guess, get, get through to him, uh, so to speak, and... Uh, you know, are able to to help him, you know, figure out that Creo had been uh, using him and, you know, just let him uh, let go and move on. Yeah, I guess, like, three is, like, a big, you know, uh, in storytelling, like, a big number. Like, usually, like, the third time is when, like, something interesting happens. Like, uh... So he dies on the on the third try, you know, the third duel. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting how he finally gives up the ghost, you know, and um, it's kind of like a bit of like a Phantom of the Opera kind of dynamic, like in my mind, uh, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like this guy is like kind of obsessed with like. Mijasuric, like, you know, kind of like as, as Christine Daae, you know, and, uh, right. Then he kind of finally like gives up and like, it's like, maybe I don't want to live as like this kind of walking, you know, like zombie thing. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's the same for Darsion as it is for Mijasuric and Kreia and really all of our companions, you know, we, we talked about, you know, kind of the ripple effects of, um, you know, through the galaxy for the mass shadow generator. But but really, Malachor is, you know, kind of the birthplace for uh, Mitra Surik's, you know, atonement purgatory story that we've been on. But but really, it's the birthplace for, you know, all of these characters, um, atonement story. You know, ultimately, she was the one that, you know, kind of pulled the trigger on that, so to speak. But, you know, really, this was the beginning of all of these characters. So um, from, that, you know, from that standpoint, then, it's very... Um, interesting and it's really neat kind of story medium that everyone is uh, back together you know kind of you know fulfilling this uh circular story narrative that they've been on yeah and i guess the final step after uh defeating scion is to go to the treus core and confront Kreia, who is now darth treya again Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure she's Darth Treya when she dies. She, yeah, she is uh, uh, Darth Treya now. It was uh, Kreia all along. Um, she has three lightsabers that spin around and try to attack you, uh, which is scary. Uh, that would not be that much fun to deal with uh, in real life for sure. But um, it make it makes for an interesting kind of final battle, and you do finally get some some answers. And by answers, I mean you know they're they're Kreia type answers, not really answers. Um, all along, but she does give Shine a little bit of light on things. But what I like about kind of this final confrontation with her is, you know, she she's answering your questions. But really, by this point um, in the game, if you've been, you know, kind of paying attention to the story and 
um, you know, what you've learned throughout. She's more or less just confirming the things that you've come to believe about Mitra Zurich, about yourself as a player character. And um, it, it gives you a, a little bit of, of closure and catharsis, I guess, for the story, because it, it's not a not a happy one for sure. Yeah, and Kreia, she kind of has, like, one of the longest death scenes, I think, ever, you know, like, in a Star Wars game. I mean, it is kind of like a dialogue option thing, so I kind of understand it, but, like... Right, yeah. It, it was just kind of funny. I'm like, wow, and she's just telling everyone's future. Okay, let's hear about Mira. Okay, that's how <laughs> she dies. Cool. Um, and then, like... uh. And then she's like, and Django Fett, well, she doesn't use the name Django Fett, but it's like, she was talking about Django Fett, and was like, wow, she's just <laughs> predicting everything, you know? And, <laughs> uh, right. I mean, that's kind of what, like, mentors, like, in Star Wars do, like, sometimes they tell you what to do, and then it's like, I don't want to do that, what if I do this, and then, like, they kind of just benevolently disapprove no matter what you do and like Kreia mm -hmm. not quite benevolent but it's like she's kind of just mysterious and makes you think but she never has like a Kreia philosophy like do this and I I you will gain you know like my favor you know so it's kind of right. just like okay keep your secrets old lady and you can you can die now I guess so yeah yeah, because it's, you know, it's it's interesting from the standpoint that, that you know, obviously Mitra Zurich and the rest of the companions, kind of their their goal were to, you know, defeat Sion and uh, Nihilus and, you know, to, you know, kind of restore uh, the galaxy to its, you know, <laughs> state prior to the Mass Shadow Generator, uh, basically. But Kreia's uh, sort of goal and aspiration through this whole thing was to basically just and the force right uh yeah. she just wanted to to sever sever it from the galaxy um so it's it's interesting that they had kind of these two different uh sort of missions and they come to a head here um in this way and then you'd uh you'd mentioned that if you're doing the the light side you know the the planet starts to kind of implode and you get out of there but if you are doing a dark side playthrough um, which which would be really hard to do a dark side playthrough in this that would be really depressing. But if you are doing yeah. that, uh, you basically take over uh, the Treus Academy and are are you know <laughs> leader of the of the Sith, I guess. Then for going forward, yeah. And I mean, we'll we'll have an episode or a few episodes, maybe like on Kreia, just like the enigma that is Kreia and just be like we don't we don't understand it like we're still it Kreia is ineffable you know like it, it's indescribable so That's um right. but yeah so this is just kind of like the destination episodes where we s quickly summarize because you know like looking at some of our old episodes we're like how about we have five episodes on this planet and like they're all like <laughs> an hour and a half and we're like maybe we can we can do people better and like just have like you know like little snippets you know like for mm -hmm. KOTOR 2 like and we can dig in deep you know later but um that's the that's the end of KOTOR 2 you know the 
canonical, non-canonical, but canonical as in far as legends go. That's right. Light side ending to KOTOR 2, unrestored content. It's not complicated at all, but... Um, <laughs> Not I don't know. What are what are some of your thoughts like on the importance of Malachor to the atonement story? Uh yeah, so I mean, um like you know, like I mentioned, it's kind of the kind of the birthplace for for the atonement story. And so, you know, going back there it kind of serves as a as a nice uh bookend for the story and um, you know, we'd we'd liken, you know, the the word Malachor to basically represent hell. Uh, in the Star Wars galaxy, and certainly it's, you know, Mitra Zurich's uh, personal hell that she's having to go uh, back into. Um, so that's, you know, really important in terms of her uh, purgatory and atonement story. Um, and I, I think that it's that it's, it's really important, you know, not only from the standpoint of, of Mitra Zurich, um, but like I mentioned, you know, all of the all of the allies and all of the enemies that have have come back here to this place that she'd you know, ultimately kind of started off, you know, this this big bang kind of a thing uh, to it. And then ultimately with uh, Beodur, you know, ha having this thing reactivated, that, you know, it's up to her to to basically, you know, turn the key to fire it up again, uh, more or less to, uh, you know, to, you know, to salvage, you know, what she can of her, um, you know, her own personal atonement. She basically just has to go back through all of the bad things that she had done that led her to this place, um, in the first place. Um, and I, I think that that is, that is really neat in a sense of a real like personal sacrifice and, you know, what you're willing to, to give up and, uh, the companions you're, you're willing to, you know, bring along to this place that may or may not, uh, survive. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it's just very, it's very interesting. And, um, you know, very dark and we see we see a lot of that you know um you know we've talked about it before with other star wars properties you know is there is there a chance for a living atonement and in most cases i i say yes but i don't you know in this one it's it's definitely not as not as clear cut so you know does mitra zurich have to sacrifice herself to find atonement um does she not have to and um you know i think metaphorically if you look at uh, malachor and her story uh, you know it it leaves a lot of you know, doors to, to open and explore, you know, what that kind of means. So. Yeah, and who knows, like, maybe in KOTOR 3, we would have gotten more answers about that. But we're kind of just left with this ending. And I guess we kind of just have to uh, think about it, you know, and maybe it's not a simple uh, yes, no, black or white question. Like there's, there's shades of gray and like, uh, some things are ambiguous and we have to grapple with them, you know, but I don't know. I think that there should be more living atonement stories in Star Wars. We, we saw that with Reva in Kenobi, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think, I, I hope that leads to more living atonement stories in the future. Like, I, I think that would help our, I don't know, like maybe in a small way or it could help our culture a bit more than just saying like, and then they died and then, <laughs> yeah, right. they died, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unredeemable. <laughs> unredeemable. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I, th I think that those stories are, are 
better in a sense that you know they they take more more nuanced storytelling to get there because it's very easy to just be like well you did a bunch of bad stuff so <laughs> the only the only way out for for you is to to die and that's the only way we'll know that you're really sorry about it um so yeah i think i think yeah going going forward you know within in star wars and just a lot of other stories i think that 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 tale is a good one and i think that kotor 2 does uh, really well, you know, through either intention or just from a standpoint of, you know, getting the game out the door uh, in time. Like it, it leaves a lot of questions to be answered and explored and uh, for you to kind of, you know, think about what you think. And I think it's, you know, a lot of more, you know, more metaphor than, you know, actually what we see, you know, uh, KOTOR 1 ends and everyone flies off on the Ebon Hawk and gets a medal and you know, Karth makes a goofy smile, but, uh, uh in yeah. this, in this one, you, you know, you don't, you don't get that. You have to kind of sit back and, and, uh, think about it a little bit more, which is, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, talking about KOTOR 2 was, uh, you know, kind of this, this big step and big departure from talking about KOTOR 1, but it's also one of the things that makes it, you know, a lot more fascinating and interesting to, to kind of try to dissect, um, you know, on that level. Yeah. I don't know, like, in my mind, um, Mitra Surik or whatever you want to call the exile, like, I think, like, they kind of came back from, like, a metaphorical death, you know, and, like, kind of became a Jedi again, kind of examined the philosophies, revisited these planets, you know, and I, in my mind, like, they tried to rectify you know, like, the effects of the Mandalorian Wars and, like, maybe where their actions went wrong, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I personally think there's there's hope for uh, Mitra Surik. Uh, and, I mean, that's kind of what uh, McCall says, like, where others see, like, the death of the Force, I see the hope for all life, you know? Um, so... I think, like, if you kind of, like, following the canonical um, light side track, um, it wasn't easy by any means, and it's not going to make everyone feel better, but I think, like, Mitra Surik did all she could. Yeah. Yeah, and I think maybe that's kind of the, the moral of the story is, you know, if you do something uh, as horrendous as this, all you can all you can try to do is to to do your best and to fix what you can along the way. And, um, you know, maybe that's what, uh, what Kray is trying to, to teach us all along, right. Is that, you know, you can, you can do what you can and it, it might be enough and it might not be enough, but that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, uh, you know, like we finished kind of recapping code for one and, uh, we sort of finished code for two, like, the the greatest hits version of it you know mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and now we can cover kotor 3 oh wait <laughs> there is no kotor 3 we are we already did it's the revan novel we already talked about it <laughs> that doesn't count no, oh okay uh, but unless uh, unless you want to talk about the revan novel again we could do a, a a second episode about that or uh we could probably find some more stuff to talk about uh, in yeah. kotor 2 uh for i sure. guess at Kotor 2, what are you kind of thinking of talking about? Yeah, so I, I really liked doing kind of these these quick hit little travel logs because, you know, they kind of 
I kind of talked about the locations and, you know, kind of the story beats of what was happening there without getting uh, too much in the weeds. We talked, you know, a bit about each of the companions that we're meeting kind of along the way and the Jedi Masters. But uh, one of the things that we did after we finished talking about uh, the first KOTOR and doing kind of our, our adaptation, we did uh, we did a big, huge long. It was like, it was, it was way long because we did all yeah. of the characters in one episode. But I think we could probably uh, do the same kind of thing where instead of, you know, going location to location uh we just we tackle the companions one by one talk about uh kind of who they are who their story is or what their story is and then you know kind of go through like the the character arc the journey that they go on uh over the course of kotor 2 um you know maybe talk about uh if they have their own uh purgatory story same as mitra Surik, um if they're coming at it from a different angle uh what their motivations are but i think that that would be um, an interesting way to to keep the kotor train rolling yeah we're all about the the kotor train you know and uh keeping the discourse around kotor 2 alive uh it would be fun to kind of like delve a bit deeper into some of the different characters and sometimes it helps me uh look at the characters differently like sometimes like i have some favorites but after talking about them i'm like i really like joe lee you know right mm-hmm. so yeah for sure and then you know, beyond that, you know, it's it's hard to say. Maybe we can we'll find some other uh, stories and uh, things and aspects about the the story. But I, I think just going back and kind of you know ticking off the companions, you know, really trying to to dig into their stories a little bit more could be interesting. So yeah, so we'll we'll still be talking Code War Two, and I'm sure we can uh, always talk about Code One, and uh, soon we'll kind of be releasing the the KOTOR audio drama and everything. So mm-hmm. um, that's one to look forward to. So I guess uh, anything else? No, I think that's uh, that's going to do it here for these uh, travel logs. So hopefully everyone listening out there have um, enjoyed going to all of these locations with us. It's been a, a fun time to break those down a little bit for everyone. So hopefully everyone enjoyed and uh, thanks everyone who's uh, been listening and following along. We appreciate it. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. Um, and now, I'll, in closing, I'll just say, may the groundhog be with you. The Older Public Podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at DennisSMowersMusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.